Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment, sponsored by Tech Help Boston. Here's a question. What are the chances of getting struck by lightning? The answer, one in 500,000. And that's the same chance a child has of being diagnosed with a rare, incurable disease called juvenile myositis. For this week's exceptional woman, the journey between watching her little boy go from a running, climbing, laughing, curious little boy to a child who couldn't sit up or lift his head without pain. The last few years have been devastating. But through it all, there has been determination, hope, and lots of love. This is the story of a mom named Liz Ryan. Liz, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Something very powerful happens when we tell our stories because we end up teaching each other something. And that's what I'm hoping is going to happen today because you are here to tell this story. So take us back to the day when you and your husband, Luke, started seeing some physical changes in Liam. How old was he and what did you see? Starting January 2018, Liam had your normal kind of cold flu type of illness. This is around the holidays. It's cold, winter, very typical. But after that, it must have triggered the autoimmune because he started really like a muscle atrophy type of disease. Week by week, it just got worse and worse. In the beginning of January, you know, you kind of saw this very odd rash. It's this butterfly rash on your face. What's very characteristic are these odd kind of warts on your knuckles and your cuticles and elbows and uh, his toes and knees. And then he just started sitting out of activities. He didn't want to participate and run around with his friends. He would sit down and ask his friends to come sit with him. And, you know, they wanted to just be little kids and run around age four in preschool. And it really broke my heart. And the preschool teachers were amazing. They were with him from 7.30 to 5.30 since he was a little, little kid. We kept in great communication. You know, so they were noticing things, too, yeah. in preschool. They were noticing him in preschool, and we finally determined it's really not him acting out. I also have a daughter who's younger. She turns three in October. We're trying to determine, is it something with jealousy? But she was already older, so we already passed that stage. I took him to the pediatrician, and our pediatrician office happens to have like 16 of them. They said, okay, we'll just go to the local dermatologist. So we go to someone in town. They said, oh, I'll just put steroids on his face. And I, I did it. I put it on there. And I was like, yeah, but you know what? I got neurotic because he ran a fever every single day for like 30 days at that point. And I said, you know what? He, he has a fever every day. That's not normal. He's very lethargic. He's sitting out. He can't get off the floor. I remember he was on the floor of the dermatology office. He was so exhausted. And I would have to wheel him around or carry him around. The dermatologist said, oh, you know, he's probably sick. I went back to the pediatrician's office at least three or four times just to see different people. And after a while, they're also convincing me, like, well, you know, go see a psychologist. And they were running tons of blood work. So every time he'd go, he hated going, you know, blood work, blood work. And they were like, well, maybe he's a little anemic. So I call it we went through the ologies. First, we went through hematology, big workup, big specialists, all at children's. Nope, not that. And they're like, well, maybe you should go check out neurology. So <laughs> all of that. At that time, I still had already made appointments for dermatology, but it was still three months out. So I wasn't going to see them until March. So we're going through. And then I talked to a bunch of psychologists. 
And they're like, no, you go back to the pediatrician. The fevers, that's not typical. Getting off the floor. So he wouldn't, wouldn't get off the floor, couldn't sit up, couldn't get up the steps. And there was times where my husband and I would fight. He's sitting at the bottom of the steps. We're telling him, no, it's all in your head. We're all crying. We're all yelling. It was tough. It was wow. really tough. You are describing, you know, I bet there are moms who are listening to the show right now saying, oh, my God, this sounds like the worst situation possible because I'm going to guess the mother instinct is going off in your brain going, something is wrong with my baby. You know, when you become a new mom, everyone's like, oh, you got to listen to your gut. And you hear these things, you're like, yeah, yeah, okay, I, I got to listen to my gut. You need to say one more step. You need to listen to your gut while everyone else is telling you you're wrong. <laughs> you know, if you're in an incubator and it's just you saying, okay, I need to listen to my intuition, that's one thing. When everyone's telling you no is, is hard. How long was it between when the symptoms began and the diagnosis was finally given? March 26, three months. And tell me about the day you found out what he had. We knew it had to be a rheumatology kind of thing because it was muscles. There was one dermatologist at Children's and said, no, I think it's this juvenile myositis. Let's get into rheumatology. But it was impossible. I was calling every single day to get the appointment. I got the pediatricians to call for me. We had other doctors at Children's trying to get us in. I got very frustrated and I said, we're in Boston. I'm going to call every hospital. I knew of floating children's because my husband's cousin had delivered her twins there. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing. So I said, okay, we're in Boston. Every hospital's probably good. So I leave a very desperate message for uh, the receptionist on a message machine. I need to get in. She calls me back on a Friday afternoon, gets me in on Monday at 1 o'clock. I work in a great company that has a downtown Boston office and then an office close to my house. I bring Liam in that morning in Boston he loves coming to the office. He's very accustomed to it. He sees everybody. Everyone loves him. He has screen time, unlimited snacks. And he's sitting across from me at the desk. It's like 10 o'clock in the morning. We have our appointment at 1. I assumed we would be there all day, you know, all morning, have lunch, go over. He starts dry heaving and saying, Mommy, I have blood in my throat, crying. I run over there and I have this garbage can. I don't, you know, I'm kind of just processing really quick what to do. And he's screaming, take me to the doctor. And he hates doctors at this point because every time we go, they draw blood. We get there. Liam loves it. And we get in the ER. I was yelling at the doctor. I'm like, you're not dismissing us. You're going to look. And he's like, we're going to help you. I just think you should see the specialist. We can't do anything for you in the ER. At that point, it's about 1 o'clock. Within 10 minutes, we know what you have. You have juvenile myositis or dermatomyositis because he has the skin disease part with the muscle. We didn't leave for a week. Not knowing can drive you crazy. You want an answer, then you don't want an answer. Exactly. And especially to hear that your son has an incurable, potentially deadly disease. Yeah. Tell me about that day. We kind of knew a little bit of what it was because of the previous dermatologist. Also, we Googled it. That previous day before... Luke and I cried. We reached out to the only organization that supports families that raises money for research for juvenile myositis. And I connected with one of the moms who happens to be an employee. And she ran it through. But, you know, you're kind of in a fog. I remember talking to her in CVS before 
my appointment, like trying to buy everything that I could buy for this potential appointment. But when we get there, it's like we've forgotten everything. I couldn't even pronounce the word. They're like, okay, Liam has juvenile dermatomyositis. You're not leaving. And we're like, we're in our work clothes, looks in a suit. I'm in a dress. I'm like, we're not leaving. My sister happens to live downtown, so it was really great. She came over with her husband. My mom came up from New Jersey. But I have a picture of him just in his little pajamas that he never took off that day and the IV and him sleeping and just being like, oh, my God. How am I going to get through this? Yeah. What is his treatment plan now? We've come a long way. He does have IVIG, which is plasma infusions, every two weeks. So we're at Children's in Waltham. And it's an IV. We get there at 11. We leave about 7-ish. So it's all day. Every week at home on Sunday nights, we do low-dose chemo, methotrexate. And now he's on one milligram of prednisone. How is he doing, if you could just give us a snapshot? In terms of his physical activity, amazing. He does fatigue a little sooner than other kids. He'll need naps and breaks. But he's running around, he's jumping, he's happy, he can participate. I think mentally, though, it really has taken a toll on him. Right now, he's in this phase where he will not wear shorts or any short sleeve shirts. He says wearing shorts reminds him of the chemo shot he has to take. And he's really scared of the sun. The sun is a big trigger for the disease. So if he gets like a sunburn, it could induce a flare. And then we got to start all the medicine up again. And we've come a long way. Every two weeks sounds like a lot, but before it was worse. It's a very tricky disease. You can see kids for a long time on medications. Does he understand that he has a serious, life-threatening illness? Does he get it? Because he's so young, and and you want to make him be cautious and careful, but you don't want to corral his energy and his spirit. That must be so hard. Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Almazian, president of TechHelpBoston, with the reasons why. It's really about forging a relationship and having a trusting relationship because your technology is very personal to you. It used to be in the old days that things were private. When you're online, nothing is private anymore. And we want to make sure that that information is kept confidential and with somebody that you trust and you feel comfortable with. You can trust TechHelpBoston to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit techhelpboston.com. That's techhelpboston.com. Fortunately, there's a lot of great opportunities have come up. There's another nonprofit called Team Impact, and they match each kid up with a college sports team. So he did a signing for the Bentley Falcons, a football team. Loved it. Loves the guys there. On the news clip, it says, it's a deadly disease. So he's like, Mommy, does that mean kids die from it? And I had to say, well, kids can die from it, but we're doing everything we can to make sure you're not one of them. But I had to say, because it was just a mommy thing. I'm like, it's not you, though. But like, how can you say it? You know, they're five. I know all about Team Impact and Jay Callan and Associates and what a great, great organization that company is and what Jay is doing for children all across the country. You've just launched a website, which is called CureJM4, the letter for Liam, L-I-A-M dot com. What has been the reaction to your website? You've just launched. 
everyone has given us great comments, written in. I feel like we needed a hub to really put everything in one place. We've been doing a lot of outreach. My husband and I are just a little more of an extrovert kind of family. We're both sharers by nature. So we've done a lot of different, thank you so much for having me in for this interview. We've done a lot of different type of media outreach. It's nice to be able to connect with our community and keep them posted. We have a huge fundraiser on August 11th in Burlington. This is a way to make sure people always come and support. I know that this is a rare disease, but I'm going to guess that you, in launching the site and in reaching out, have heard also from families who felt like they were isolated as well. Last year was our first event for Bowl to Cure JM, and there was a mom that came, and she came up and she gave me a hug, and she said, I just want you to know it gets better. I have a son that plays D1 lacrosse, and he has this disease, and there was no outreach. There was no community back then. Thank you so much for putting this up. And we actually did. That newscast attracted a bunch of families that were, they were just older kids in college or after. And they said, thank you so much for having this. And it was so nice to meet them. As your son grows older, it'll be even more important for him to see those kids as role models for him as well. Yes, absolutely. There are such limited resources for families with children who have JM. And you want to change this through your website. Yes. Not only do we want to create awareness for families and a place for us to collaborate, we really want every dermatologist, every pediatrician to know exactly what this is. Three months is a long time, but there's people that went through years trying to find this diagnosis. And the only way to really beat this disease is to catch it early. So I, I hope, knock on wood, we caught it early enough. We won't know. There's not enough research out there to know. But that's our true mission. Everyone needs to know about it. So the next kid that gets diagnosed gets caught early. Boston is a medical hub, not just for the United States, but for people all around the world. Yet it took a while to get Liam diagnosed. And you have said earlier, well, that's because we had to go down all the ology corridors in order to come to find our answer. So what have you learned from all of that? You have to listen to your own tuition. Number five, life lesson. And no one tells you how hard it is to listen to your own tuition when there's a lot of other quote-unquote professionals, people that have been doing a lot more things longer than you have, are around you, surrounding you, giving you their opinion. It's a, certainly a life process and life learning, I'm sure I will have, but my advice to anyone is you really have to listen to yourself. Listen to that voice inside your head that says, mm, that doctor might have a lot of degrees on the wall, but that's not what's going on with my son right now. Right. <laughs> it's one thing when we as adults are sick. It's another when our child is sick. How have you made it through this so far? And what do you do when you hit that wall and you know you need to pick yourself up off the floor? Maybe there's a mom who's listening who has a child with a serious illness and could benefit from your answer. The nice thing about now is that there are ways to reach out to other people that might be going through the same thing. So my advice is that don't keep yourself in an isolated bubble. Reach out for help. And I know people say that to you, and it's hard to do. It's hard to reach out and express, but I have a great network, not only my immediate family, but I, I also created my own network of really strong other moms in the community I live in, I'm connected to Lex Fund, which is a great nonprofit. And then through Cure JM, 
There are a ton of other families that you can post. We have like our own little Facebook group. They get it. They know it. And they can kind of diagnose things even before <laughs> doctors because there's so many of them And there. even to just say, hey, that's what happened to my child, but here's what we did. Don't right. panic. Right. What is mother love, Liz Ryan? It's truly putting your children before you, even at your own detriment, though you do need to take care of yourself. That's my love to my children. You are a very successful businesswoman. You work for TD Ameritrade, and you are able somehow to work and to take care of this child, and you also have a little girl. Yes. What is your trick? <laughs> How have you done it? Last night, I was giving advice to my sister-in-law, an up-and-coming, amazing woman in media, young 20s. We were just talking about her work-life situation and what she wants to accomplish and the goals that she has out there. And one of my pieces of advice to her was, why not you? You can be the first one. Just because someone hasn't done it doesn't mean you can't. At TD, I've been there for nine years. I was the first, and I think I'm still the first person to ever be part-time. After my first, after Liam, I somehow forged my own role there. I still help clients and business owners, uh, families with their financial needs. I was the first one, and I did phenomenally well. I did awesome. Just as Liam got diagnosed, I got a promotion. <laughs> somehow, I managed to get the promotion. He got diagnosed. And honestly, they have been so wonderful to me and flexible. And I wouldn't be able to do all that I do for Liam's care without a really great work-life balance and a great company to work for. Your family is no stranger to heartache and to adversity. You told me when we were chatting a while ago when we first met that your parents are Vietnam refugees. Yes. You tell me a little about that. I was born 20 days after my parents came from Vietnam. They fled in 79. My dad's family had a quote-unquote trucking company, which is one truck. The North invade, they take over the family business of one truck. And they say, okay, you are going to now drive the truck for the government. And we're taking all the wealth, and that's kind of how it happens, right? My father's job at that point was to then drive this truck, and they're now invading into Cambodia. Mm. They're invading to take the wealth out of Cambodia, and you know, the killing fields and everything else. Of course, my dad needs to make money. He's always been this rebel at heart. So my father's like selling goods and gasoline off the side of the truck. Of course, he knows he's going to get caught eventually. He brings the money back, but my mom and dad are the oldest, and they have many siblings. So they bring all this money back and then just goes to the family, and there's nothing left. My dad's like, we, we can't live like this. We're never going to have anything. They said, okay, we're going to go. We're going to leave. So it was my dad, my mom, his uncle, and a couple of his siblings. So, you know, it's like a group of eight. What they did was they hid in the truck overnight. My dad's best friend drove them deep into Cambodia to then walk up to Thailand. In that journey, they were captured by the Khmer Rouge, and they were beaten for three days. And my father said to my uncle, who was 13 at the time, my dad and the men are tied with their hands behind a tree, but my uncle on the ground with hands tied. And he said, in the morning, untie me. We're going to kill everybody and get out of here. And my dad said he heard his uncle's voice very clear in his head, don't do anything, wait till the morning. Now, at this point, the CIA are in the jungle looking for POWs. They find my parents, trade them for rice, 
And now they're in U.S. custody and they're like, so have you seen POWs? My parents are like, no, we haven't seen anybody. And then they ended up being transferred to a refugee camp for a couple of years. When the Unitarian Church in Summit, New Jersey sponsored us, I was born 20 days after. How does it feel to tell that story? It makes me want to record it, which good thing we are, because I want my children to know. And I want to record my parents. And they wanted to come here and make a life. And they wanted to do it quickly. I was born. They gave me an American name. There was no Vietnamese name. You know, they'll even say they were so proud that they were only on, like, assistance for eight months. I mean, they did an You know, I job. hear these stories and they bring tears to my eyes because when they came to this country, they became the kinds of citizens that we all want everyone to be because they love this country. Right. As do you. What did you learn from your parents? What was the message in your house? My mother said to me, if they can do it, you can do it. Always. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? Seeing my parents work so hard, I still look up to them thinking that I'm not working hard enough. When I see them overcome so much, they've been my lifeline. And I also have to say my grandmother, who's my adopted grandmother, there was a family in the Unitarian Church that really just took us in. The values they taught us are always within me, and I hope I do the best to teach my children. What do you wish you knew, Liz, when this journey with Liam first got started? And can you pass that lesson along to a parent who's just starting to walk that same walk? You do need to reach out to multiple specialists or people or opinions, however you want to phrase it. If you kind of work in a bubble, whether that's the stress that gets to you or the opinions of the people around you, it could not be beneficial. The more you reach out, the more you tell your story, the more you share, the more that comes to you. I mean, there are times where I just want to quit my job. I mean, everything. You just kind of want to hide. Don't do that. It will not be beneficial. And you do want to be strong for your children. Success means different things to different people at different chapters in their lives. What does success mean to you, Liz Ryan, right now? For me, success means balancing it all. And I truly believe that balance only can last a moment, but you can't get frustrated with it. There's gonna be very imbalanced times, but you just have to remember that's just a moment in time. It's not reaching that certain you know, title at work or that certain income or owning that certain house. It's being able to balance everything that I value and the people I love around me. I wanna say thank you so much for telling your story we're sending our love and our prayers Liam's way. Thank you so much for being on the story behind her success. Liz Ryan, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?